big decisions, paths followed, choices made. This is Connections, conversations about life and work. I'm your host, Jim Allen. Drew Harris has over 40 years experience as a visual artist, graphic designer, and visual arts writer. So welcome. How you doing? I'm very well, Jim. Thank you. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. Thank you for this opportunity. When was that reunion that we just spoke about? Because that's the last time I went. I believe it was probably in 2006. Okay. So it's whatever the math is on that. It sure has. Uh, We're still young men. 16 years. Uh, I have pictures from that night. Um, (laughs) Anyway, that's that's what it says in the marketing material in your most recent show in Chicago, but you don't live in Chicago. I do not. You do not live in Canada. <clears throat> You've spent most of the last 20 years living and working in or near Kuala Lumpur, which is in Malaysia. Yes, indeed. How did you end up in Kuala Lumpur in the first place? I left in 1990, between 1990 and 91, uh, to go traveling and went through Southeast Asia, you know, China and Thailand and Nepal, uh, down through Australia and Australasia. I happened to be living in Bali, Indonesia. Just uh, we had stopped for a couple of months to sort of get our heads straight. And a fellow came along and uh, happened to buy one of my works. I happened to be painting. So he bought the work, brought it back to Singapore. uh, And that subsequently went into an exhibition. Uh, It was the work on the front cover of a big art fair. And after that, he opened a gallery in Kuala Lumpur, and he invited me as the first artist, the first international artist, to show. And and hence, uh, I began a 17-year career with that gallery in KL, and I just kept going back year after year, one or two shows. And that's how I ended up where I am today. So the last, I think we just decided the last time I saw you was 2006? About 2006, yeah. There was a reunion... I definitely saw you in 1998 because some friends commissioned a, paint, a painting as a as a wedding present for my yeah. new new bride and and me. Uh, now you just you were upstairs. You just saw this painting for the first time in 24 years. Wow. I should have had cameras rolling on you just for the <laughs> documentary footage. Um, I mean, at this point, you must have created hundreds, if not thousands. Of works. So, what goes through your mind when you see something that you've created, but you haven't seen it for a long time? It's always a surprise, and it's always a really pleasant surprise to see work, uh, particularly when it's uh, it, it means something to a number of people. So, these friends who commissioned the work, uh, and to you, there's a special connection, which means you know, a greater amount of people were, were engaged in this process of making this piece. So when I see it, there's something, there is something that draws me back to that moment. So you remember the studio that you Absolutely. were in? And the... Yeah, I remember what I wrote in it. Uh, I was doing a lot of text or writing into the surface of the painting. Uh, and uh, to see it today, there are still elements in you there. You seem surprised. I... You probably forgot that you... Uh, uh, completely, completely. I... I <laughs> I have done a lot of work. I've done a lot of commission works. Uh, you know, I'm really honored that after all of these years, you see 24 years, that piece is still, you know, a prominent, holds a prominent place in your 
You, you don't. Marriage. I mean, you don't see an old work and and see the flaws or. Oh, of or, course I do. Or, yeah. Oh yeah. God, I hate that. <laughs> brush i was using or anything or technique or whatever oh of course yeah because there you are a number all of the time of course so uh, well i try there are elements that have stayed with me right. and your painting is a good example of that i'm still using the elements that i created in 96 i'm still using today in 2022 so the piece that you have has all the strongest components of my career so if someone again brought out a painting do you do you remember all your paintings? Do you do you, would you recognize them all? I would recognize every one of my paintings if it was. But I might not remember exactly the time or the and in most cases uh, I'm working in a series or or a thematic of that particular time. So I can I can ballpark roughly the the years that I was working on that, but I definitely recognize the periods in which I work. Yeah. So, I mean, going back to the the, uh, the early '90s, I mean, in all honesty, you've always been an inspirational figure to me. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, you had a corporate job, but you always wanted to be an artist, a painter, and somewhere mm -hmm. along the line, you just said, "Screw it, it, screw it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it." Right, <laughs> and that's because then somebody like me is going, "Oh, you know." You know what I mean? In a nice way, if Drew can yeah. do it, I can do it. But it's like he's got the guts to quit his job I'm and not just sure kind of go for it, right? Yeah, it might have been a bit of guts, but it was a little bit of stupidity at the time, too. You know, realizing that I I was giving up a career that could... Well, that was a recession, be, too. There was, yeah, there like, was a recession. You know, and that, right, there's always a recession for those kids watching. There's always a recession coming. But that was yeah, right in absolutely. the middle of it, because that's when I was starting as well. Yes, and, and that was, you know, seen by family and friends as being kind of a ridiculous move. I owned a house in Toronto. I had a very good paying job. It was a progressive company. We were doing well. Um, but it was a choice I had to make. I couldn't do 18-hour days anymore, right. uh, you know, working as a designer, a young family, and a painting career. The three elements just couldn't work together. So at the time so you were give... painting for yourself at nights and on the weekends or whenever. I was painting at night and trying to get in, you know, as many exhibitions as I could, uh, just group, small exhibitions. And uh, it was my real love. I, I, It was a passion. So I thought, well, yeah, I can't keep this going for the next uh, 20 years. Uh, one would have to give. And that was the design business. Yeah. But I guess my point is you're, you're, you're a guy who just, you know, fricking went out and did it. So hats off to you. But, and I know it's not <laughs> all you. glory, right? No, it And maybe we isn't. can talk some, some about that. We, we kind of got, you know, you, you, you had a break, right? Yes. So, someone found you with connections and bought yes. painting and then, and then you're on a cover of something. Yes. And then you're in and a And I also think there's, a, there. there's an element that, uh, the one thing I was blessed with, with, which was the business aspect a lot of artists, young artists particularly, and I was in my, what, 30s, late 20s and early 30s. Right. They don't have the business aspect or, I don't know, the uh, I wouldn't say business acumen, but I had that business uh, philosophy, uh, you know, deeply ingrained. So I had this ability to be able to, to have the confidence to walk up really to anybody in any corporation and say, here's my portfolio, would you like to look at it? So there was that element that I... That saved me. Right. So during a recession, you 
you uh, you know you take your chance, um, right? Uh, <clears throat> and if you have both aspects, I understood the markets. I could follow the markets. I understood ec economics, so I saw that Asia might be actually rising in their in their uh, you know economic sector. So did you stay over there because that's you were making? I was bouncing back and forth. So were... I was doing when the North American you know economy was was rising. I would do shows in Chicago, uh, in New York, Toronto, right, Vancouver. And as it's sort of settled or tamed, uh, the Asian market would rise again. So I had I had my foot in both markets. And so it was they, when they say right, do they miss you a bit, and then then you come back, or is that yeah. the idea? Yeah. Well, I could see that the 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 markets that I needed, uh, you know, you always have to get your work into a market that is uh, that's progressive. It's it's not going into recession. It's it's or it is coming out of a recession, so there's positivity in the market, and you you locate those, and you think, okay, well, if you know, you keep your foot in those markets, so that you can you can work through all of the ebb and flow of the of those markets. So you're talking about Singapore, yeah. uh, Malaysia. Yeah. So who is back then? Who's buying who's buying your paintings back then? Because they're always fairly large scale. Uh, yeah. Most of the time, well, right? I'm again, as I say, I was very blessed to to meet one of the better uh, dealers in South Asia. And he had, he also, I must say, uh, had the courage and the balls, as it were, to go and and build his brand. And right. that brand uh, became synonymous with, you know, really good work, really good international artists. So I was, I was very lucky and very fortunate because I was very, right there at the very beginning so are you are you marketed as this exotic exotic Canadian guy or uh, I used to be <laughs> back then I mean now I'm back then. yeah back then it was uh, it was fantastic because I was bringing contemporary work which was just beginning to be recognized in that Asian uh, South Asian market right for years it had been very traditional and the universities weren't really focused on contemporary work then right. so as we entered the market they started to see a need for contemporary work. And since uh, there's been a number of really top universities in South Asia producing really fantastic work uh, so and, and artists. So my career as a, as a young artist started there. I built connections with, you know, countless number of uh, collectors and they built relationships with me for 20 years. At the end of that 20 years or so, or 20, 30 years, uh, there's a new set of artists coming up. So, And there's a new set of collectors. So again, it's just repeat. And then those collectors will build right. 20 or 30-year careers with these young artists today. So it's a natural movement. So I'm not as, as sought after, as it were, in that market. Right. Uh, they te they're tending to go back to the younger artists, and I was a younger artist then. So I'm gonna, you know. I was going to ask you about Chicago near uh, near the end. There was a 20 year gap in in, yeah. in having shows in Chicago. Is that part of the appeal than going to Chicago? Let's get reconnected with my Chicago friends. Uh, and to a certain fans? degree, uh, again, you know, people have short term memories. So right. 20 years ago is a, a long time, time a right. long time ago. Uh, there are only a few people that remembered my work uh, and once you as an artist 
or anybody in business or in, in performing arts or whichever, you leave a market for 20 years, it's a struggle to get back in. I was fortunate because the, the gallery that I contacted actually remembered my work from 20 years ago. So it's the same gallery? No, it's a different gallery, a different okay. uh, dealer. And he recognized my name and my work. Uh, and he was the one that invited me in. That so makes, That makes you feel pretty good. It was very, it was, again, serendipitous. Right. I had just made a call randomly uh, to this fella. So you're calling from, from Asia? I'm to, calling from Asia. Trying to uh, drum up gallery. Uh, oh, okay. And he was the first guy. So you I don't have an to. agent or anything? You're, no, I you're do it man. all on my own. Okay. Uh, I'm not repped by any galleries except right. for now in Chicago. Right. Uh, in Malaysia and Indonesia, you know, I became an independent in 2000, well, shortly after you and I last saw one another, right. two, 207 or 208. Right. Um, I just thought, you know, I've had gallery representation for 17 years. It's time to just go it on my own. So at a show like the one you had in uh, Chicago, mm-hmm. What makes it successful for you? What, how, selling all the paintings, or how would you, how do you define success in that situation? Uh, that's a well. That's a great question. I think the first success we we all must, uh, as artists, uh, we we try to achieve that. That first success is actually getting it done, uh, completing the task, getting it there, being responsible for getting it there uh, on time. And on schedule, right? Uh, that is the first success. And once you've done that, now it's out of your control, really. Uh, you also have to feel that you have done your job as best you can. And there are a lot of times when you finish a show, uh, you know, like it has said, you never finish it; you kind of abandon it. Right. There are shows that you abandon uh, because of timing. And so forth, but you, we, as long as you got the show there, and committed and completed your commitment, right. uh, that's one success. Then the rest is really up to the public. So it's out of your control at a certain point. It's out of my control, <clears throat> and now it comes down to you know public perception. You know, good example of that might be, I did a show uh, in Malaysia at one point, and. I had put large graphic X's in the paintings, yes. and they were. It was part of a series I was doing. Yes, I remember it was a that personal one. series. Yes, and when so I was very happy with the show, and I very happy with the work. I got the work to, to Kuala Lumpur. We announced the show. We we created the catalog. We had the opening, and the show didn't do well. It didn't do well at all, in fact. Which means it doesn't sell. It, it didn't sell. It didn't sell. It didn't get the reaction. And we couldn't figure out why. And someone pointed out to us that in the culture of the Asian culture, the X is really considered a, it's it's a, it's a symbol that is not uh, comfortable. Superstitious. They're very they? superstitious about the X right. because the X means uh, it could be a death thing. It could be uh, in business. It could, you know, jeopardize business. Right. Uh, so this X is really important. And I had no idea. So I had done everything I could do to create a good body of work, but I didn't do my research. 
And that was a failure in the end. So the success was I got it there. The failure was the fact that I just didn't do my homework. And so that's one, one element. But generally, if you do your homework and you feel good about a show, after the getting it there, getting it on the walls and showing up, then the success is this kind of thing, you know, where I get to, to speak, you know, do interviews, talk about the work, talk about me. Well, I, um, I mean, do you, how do you define <clears throat> success in general? I mean, do you, do you consider yourself successful? Oh, general? certainly I do. Merely for the fact that I've just stuck it out for as long as I have, I think success is, uh, you know, granted to those, whether we're, for whatever reason, we've stuck it out for 40 years. You know, there, there's a success right there. We've, we've beat all odds. Still as doing were, what you want to do. And right? still doing what I want to do. There have been the challenges as we discussed. Um, I do, I do feel successful. Monetarily, that's always going to be a crapshoot. You know, you you don't know how you're going to do, and there can be long periods of drought where you start to question what you do. But if you have means to overcome that, uh, that's often for the young artists taking job on, you know, as they build their creative content. For me, I I can't do anything else, so I simply mm -hmm. I write. Uh, so that supplements some income, uh, but really, uh, it's the, it's the painting. So it can go for long droughts and you can begin to question and you think, is this success or is this just stupidity sometimes, you know, am I still, I'm pounding my head against the wall, but in the end, we, I believe in myself. I believe in what I do. And that's the first success. Really. That is what is successful to me in the end. Um, and I'm still here doing what I do. So knock on wood. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so my father-in-law, okay. He's a retired <laughs> psychiatrist and he just wrote a book about Willem de Kooning. Wow. Abstract expressionist painter in the forties, fifties, sixties. I think right, he died in 1997. He's a contemporary of, uh, Jackson Pollock. Mm-hmm. One thing that came up, um, de Kooning would often destroy his work. Uh, whatever he'd been working on that day, he'd destroy it and start over day after day, painting after painting. You know, and some sometimes the people watching would be appalled. Hey, hey, Willem, that was that looked like a pretty good painting that you just but <laughs> wrote not to off. the artist. <laughs> do, do, what's your process like? Do you destroy work? Do you? Do you walk away from paintings, come back? How do you, how do you work? Yeah. Well, uh, like uh, de Kooning, I mean, he, again, one of my biggest influences, the whole New York school of painters, the abstract painters, the fifties and sixties with de Kooning and Klein and, uh, Motherwell, uh, Rothko, um, you know, they all had that same process. We, we paint until we know we've got something. And if the painting's not working, it's set aside. Uh, you can always come back to it. And if it doesn't work. And the one thing I, I, you know, I always mention paintings have a spirit. They're living spirits. The, the, what you put on canvas is, is it's a give and take with a, with a canvas. You as the artist and the canvas, it's one, you become one. Do you and have if, multiple canvases going on at once? Oh, in, often. In your yeah. yeah. And you develop a relationship with your canvas. I know it sounds kind of flaky, but 
So you wouldn't uh, it will it, it will tell you whether it's going to work or not. And right. if you are intuitive enough, and if you are in tune with your process, uh, you'll know it immediately, right. and you'll know when a painting is forcing you to stop or pushing you away. Uh, it's just something about the flow of paint, uh, and the canvas has a has a. I hate to sound uh, spiritual and way out there, but it really does have its own personality, and it and it has a, has a voice, and if you force it, you'll never get what you want, and so there's many paintings that I know as I'm creating them, this is not working, it's telling me it's not working, so I can set those aside, but those come back, and they can come back years later. So you go right to canvas. You're not sketching things out in pencil Nothing. or anything. You go right to the. I paint. go right to canvas. Right. Yeah. With a thematic. So you have a th something in mind, like I'm going to. I have like, a thematic in mind. So, so it might be a like word. You, you or, might all, like variations on a theme that you've been. Yeah. Like the magnetic uh, north. You. This is your theme. Yes. Now I'm going to start a new painting. Yeah. But it's not going to be identical to the last one. But it's going to be somewhat connected thematic. Yeah, and I work in series. So if you uh, look back on the history of my work, really about two thousand, uh, about two thousand, I started being very concerned with our environment. Right. And as an abstract painter, I mean, what can you do with abstraction? So my thematics were always about the weather. Uh, there, there was uh, uh, a series called the Thought Series. It was about, again, about the environment, my thoughts towards the environment. When you were uh, uh, inspired by satellite uh, photography. I that's think, right. Yeah. yeah. And that, well, the Fragile Earth Series, uh, again, and as abstraction work, I try to bring in some narrative that will allow the viewer to really think about the work. I'm not painting specific... Uh, things about earth. It's just a feeling. You have to feel the canvas. And one of the concepts behind, as an example, the fragile earth is that this whole concept as a newsreader and as someone that's concerned with culture and environment, we don't put uh, lines on our earth. You know, the if, for example, Canada and the U.S., we have the longest undefended border in the world. We don't actually go and paint a line that tells you this is Canada, this is U.S. We it's a it's a psychological line. So we have resources in Canada that the U.S. doesn't. The U.S. has resources that we don't have. All over the world there is this. So in my works, <clears throat> it it talks about economy. It talks about religious values. It talks about uh, resources. It talks about greed. Uh, so, you know, in, if you look through parts of the world where you've got countries, you know, uh, almost put together in a kind of kaleidoscope of, of divisions, there are stronger countries in there and they are taking the resources or they are politically stronger or they are religiously stronger. We don't go and put lines on our, but we define each country by its, by these elements. So this is what I was trying to do in my work, as if looking down from a satellite, if you look at a NASA image, there are no lines on the planet. It's This is our natural planet, but we ourselves have divided it 
through greed, through religion, that kind of thing. So this is the kind of message. So I take that. I think the next series after that was, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, I think I, I did the Peninsula series. And again, it was about the area that I grew up in Canada. And the country I live in currently right now is a peninsula. So there was there was some element there, and it was about the land. So this is how I move from series to series. Do you, do you experiment a lot? I in, do. In the studio? I do. You're trying to evolve. You don't want to repeat yourself too much, I guess. Well, I think there's all there's an element of repetition that you, uh, perhaps it's mark making that I'm known for, that I'm comfortable with, that right. makes that makes me who I am as a painter. Right. Uh, but yeah, I don't like to repeat. There are many painters out there that have found a technique or a subject matter, and they just keep, you know, flogging it to death. I, so you I don't, want, you no don't want to get bored. You don't want to get bored of yourself. I get bored very easily. So you're restless, yeah. and then you want to move on to something absolutely, else. yeah. But again, you don't destroy any paintings. Oh, back? of course, you do. Oh, I do, but not violently or. Uh, uh well, you know, there have been. You get frustrated while you're yeah, doing it. Yeah, yeah, but it. And in fact, some of the the paintings that are are most su successful are the ones that I've gotten to the point where I've I've uh, I've given up. And I've said, okay, I'm powerless. I'm powerless over this painting. You so tell me what you want. It's defeated me. It has defeated today. me. Yeah. And when I go back into it, I go back into it with a whole different feeling and a whole, uh, you know, relationship with the canvas. I, I stop trying to force it. Uh, in some cases, I get angry with it. You know, I lay it on the floor. I walk on it. You know, I, I've done everything from drive cars over paintings uh, just to get something that, you know, you almost, it's, it's like pushing your friend by poking at them all the time until they react. And this is what you do with a canvas. You poke at it until it finally bounces back. It bites back. And that's when you've got a good relationship. So I find out, uh, I find a good night's sleep is good. And then you, yeah. you because you're still thinking about stuff Absolutely. probably. And then yeah. you wake up in the morning and I, you know, when it comes to video editing, I could suddenly do a hundred little edits. Of course. At, you, you know, at, at eight the in the morning before. and where it was a slog the night before. Do you wake up, yeah. suddenly have the answer to yesterday's problem? Absolutely. And I think that that has been something I think a lot of us employ. Uh, I started doing this in university and in college was the you know, step aside from it. As a designer, I had to learn to do that. There were many days, as you recall, back in the business when the solution wasn't there. And I had to, you know, step aside, go for a walk, go for a sleep, you know, whatever you needed to do. You you come back an hour later or a couple of hours later or the following morning, and the answer is there. You just at some point can't see it. So I recognize that now as a painter, 30 some odd years now, 35 years, I recognize that feeling that if I can't find the solution, I have to walk away. So I put the paintings away and I can come back to them the following day, maybe even a few hours right. and the solution is there. There's something there. How do you know when you're finished though? A, a particular it, painting? Because the painting will tell you when it's finished. I, I fully believe. Uh, there's nothing more... You, you know, I look at paintings as I go. We've referred to this at the beginning of our, our discussion today in that, you know, I see old paintings and I say, well, what could I have done differently right. then? And 
there oftentimes I don't have an answer for that. I don't think there is anything I could do at that time. The paintings tell you, if you're listening acutely, again, it sounds a little out there, but if you listen, the painting will just tell you when it's done. So. You, you made reference to politics and, and, just, <clears throat> and things influence, influencing you and certainly just the, the state of the world. In a gallery setting, uh, or even uh, uh, do you feel comfortable standing beside you know a potential buyer or collector or whatever you want to go? Do you, do you feel comfortable explaining your art? Is that, is that a cool thing? Or are you offended yeah. by that? No, and again, uh, yeah, they're I do. not going to immediately see not what at you all. see. Not at you all. Know. Uh, and most don't. Uh, but what I try to do is I try to encourage them to think beyond the visual. They have to feel it. There's a my paintings resonate a certain. I don't know. It's got a certain mood. Uh, they're not always the happiest paintings. They're not always the brightest paintings. Some of the darkest paintings I've done evoke the strongest message and for and individual for each person. So every person that looks at that painting will feel something differently. And there's a really important part of my career. Uh, and that is, there's a word taxu, which actually ironically is the name of the gallery that we started in Malaysia. And taxu is a Sanskrit word, or in fact, it's been used in the Balinese language of a spiritual connection to something. So as an example, you might have a gallery full of my own art and you as the viewer have come in, there's 20 paintings. And for some reason, you are drawn to one painting. And that's that's what buyers buy. That's what buyers look for in a show. For for the 19 other paintings, you're not drawn to it. So there's a, there's a word taxu, and it's very important in our career that someone will be connected to that painting. And they're the, usually the ones that purchase it. I can't explain the work. I just say, if you feel something and it feels right, compositionally, size-wise, then it's right for you. So I know just enough art theory to be dangerous. So, um, <laughs> you know, about five years into my university career, I finally went to a lecture about you know, composition, for instance. Yes. And I can remember, like, why haven't I learned this? I guess I could have bought a book or look, right. looked it up. But I didn't know what I didn't know, right? So, I, I mean, I can stand in front of a painting and, you know, I can't articulate why I like it. It's just something about There's it's pleasing. There's the taxu. Yes, or, or it may make you uncomfortable, you know, on purpose. Maybe that was the artist's intent. Like, do normal rules um, of composition, for instance, apply to what you do. Uh, oh, certainly. Uh, you can't make a painting that is uncomfortable. Like, uh, I'm not a, I'm not an artist that is provocative. I'm not trying to, to make my viewership nervous. I don't want them uncomfortable in my work. I want people comfortable in my work. I know the artist that I am. I can make people uncomfortable, but I don't choose to do that. It's not my nature. I want people to enjoy my work, but I also want them to think it through. Composition is part of that. You have to have an understanding of good composition when you put a work, a two-dimensional work, on the wall. Do you, do you consciously go out and break rules do you, sometimes? Yeah, of course. Yeah? 
Yeah, I have to. And and that keeps me on my toes. That that's what keeps getting me up in the morning. I I wake up and I think, what rule can I break today? Certainly. Yeah. And that again, you know, if any, you know, if we understand marketing, marketing is about breaking rules. We're breaking rules all the time in our marketing, in in corporate marketing. That we always have to try things, and things that were were unacceptable ten years ago are now acceptable. So it's, you know, and and what if whatever we're doing today, everybody's trying to have that one thing that no one else has done, and and pushing it to the point of slight uncomfortable, right? You know, and I think there's that edge that good marketers and good companies using uh, and employing good marketing will always bring you to edge, to the edge. They won't take you over. So that's really, so every day, yeah, I have to think of something new. And I'm inspired by everything I see, Instagram, Facebook. There are certain elements that you think, now I could take that and I could do it. There, there was a, did you ever see Hannah and her sisters? There was a, I always, there's yeah. certain, there's certain um, scenes and movies that I just remember for some reason and the guy of yeah. so there's a small scene where the guy goes to see Max Van, Von Sito so Ma Max Von Sito was a painter right. in New York and so the, the Daniel Stern was a, you know a music rock star and he, so when he brings him up and then he's looking at in his private private showing in his gallery and then and then he makes a comment like um Oh, I, I like this painting because it'll it'll match my couch. Right. Right. Oh, I think with that, with that, so this. what what pisses you off? Would that piss you off? Because the painter kicked him out. Max Van Von Cito kicked Daniel Stern out. What what pisses you off? Something must. What are, well, I, I have to agree. I mean, if you really want to know, that probably pisses off a lot of artists. Well, it's rude. It's rude yeah, on it's, the surface. But it's not it's not necessarily rude. It's it's ill informed. Right. Uh, people come, and let's be honest. And I mean, we can't deny it. I mean, people still put art to match their decor. I, I, I'm the first one to admit it. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do as many commissions had I had that. I mean, I have to work with design teams. I have to work with a designer in Hong Kong that says, "Well, you know, we're looking for." eight paintings, they have to have red in them, they have to have white in them, and they have to go with our rugs. And you say, <laughs> you know, the elitist artist might say, well, I'm not going to do that, that's under me. And I'd say, absolutely, but you are going to get what I give you. And I will find that balance that you are comfortable with and that I'm comfortable with. But don't tell me what to paint in other than scale Right and some suggestions. I'm not going to fight a client. So I could way. say, yeah. I could say to you, I got this huge wall and yes. I want a huge painting. But and and of course, you know, it, if I'm doing my job I, I, right, I want to know uh, first of all the environment that it's going right. to be, and is it a home environment? Is it right. whatever? But I also want to know a bit about you. So right. I would just say, you know, Jim. So you Allen. try to personalize. Yeah, it right come. Away. We're, I'm going to come over, and we're going to have coffee. And we're going to sit, and we're going to talk. You're talking about and, commissions, and uh, so you try to connect with your customer in that situation, anyway. Before it's a, it's a, it's a, it's it's a hundred percent essential. Right. Uh, when I get a commission, I do as much uh, interviewing as I can, and if I have the opportunity, I'll take. We'll go for dinner. 
I get to know the people. I get to see little things about them, and something will will click, and they it, it, the painting again will come about because I have a better understanding of them. If I'm just simply doing what I feel like doing, you know, right. the the established artist, then I probably wouldn't get work because you it's a give and take. You have to work, and you, Jim Allen, you know, you have to live with my work. It has to be something you are comfortable with. And if I'm going to d create something that is not about you, is not does not fit your environment, we both have lost. You know, you, you're not going to respect what I do, and you surely won't respect the painting. And I have disrespected you because I didn't listen. You know, I've done, I don't know, I, I can't, I can't even give you the figure on how many commissions I've done, corporate commissions. And these are relatively big commissions. These are uh, prestigious commissions in hotels, in uh, uh, the corporate market, in China, in Australia, here in Canada, in the U.S. And um, the it w without, I think, only maybe one out of the entire commission process that I didn't get it right. right. And it's, I struggled with it. And it happened to be a 40-foot painting, 40 feet by 10 feet. Uh, and it was a struggle. And it wasn't me. It was the third person between client, myself. Right. It was that individual that was directing me through the client. And they couldn't get it right. They just simply didn't know how to tell me what was required. And this is not a small painting. It's 40 some odd feet. Uh, I did finish it, but I got to the point where I said to the client and to the to my direct client, I think I just have to do what I intuitively feel is right. I'm not going to follow what you said in order to finish this project. Otherwise I'm giving up and uh, you're going to have to find somebody new. It'd be wildly discouraging, I'm sure, those kinds of conversations. Right? It was, uh, but it was encouraging because it convinced them that their direction wasn't quite articulate enough. So I needed to do it, and I was allowed to do it, and it's one of the better paintings I've ever done, and it's in the Sheraton Macau. It's a, It's been, a, you know, I pride myself in knowing that if I can say 99.9% .9 of every all the commissions I've done have been successful only because perhaps we have to, we have to listen intently. We have to be engaged. We can't be shy. We have to ask the questions we need to ask. And that's really, that's the key important thing. If the questions don't get asked and there's no answer to your question and you don't ask it, you are going to be left in the dark. Here's a quote from your, your most recent bio too. Uh, so Drew is a firm believer in mentoring and freely sharing his experiences with other artists, whether they're just starting out in mid-career or seasoned veterans. And then, so the, the word that jumped out at me there was freely. Are you, yes. are, is, is this something you do for free or are you, are you uh, no, charged for it? No, free. So. Uh, actually, uh, it's one of the most important things I do today. Uh, and I have, you know, had a long, very illustrious career. I've traveled the world with my work. It's been great. There is a, 
to a certain degree, it's not a best before date, but it is you get to a point in your career where you really have seen a lot. And there's a lot of young artists that have not experienced what I have experienced. And, and yourself, there are a lot of producers and writers and cameramen. They haven't had the experience. So we become a knowledge base. So I work with a company called The Artist Next Level uh, and uh, out of Chicago, hence my Chicago connection. And uh, what we try to do is we're mentoring young artists, young artists, uh, mid-career, and even senior artists that are perhaps stuck. They're not quite sure what they're going to do. They need help with their social media, all aspects, including websites, business, how to propose to museums, that kind of thing. And what uh, we have a, a wellness program up as part of it. So you have to be well. You have to be mentally well in your uh, artistic career to, to be able to handle the challenges. And then they have my uh, aspect which or participation, which is studio practice. You have to know how to operate a studio. You have to know how to ship paintings. You have to know what it is uh, to pull your emotions out in your work to create strong work. And a lot of artists, a lot of new artists are scared to do that. They're not quite sure how to do that. And I just mentor along and I'm a sounding board for a lot of these people. They can ask the questions and I can, when available, I can uh, advise them. So it's a paid session. Um, so in Chicago, we, I noticed that, that you went away for a little weekend getaway or something. That or was actually right in the gallery itself. Okay. We did it. Uh, it's called Weevolve. And right. uh, this is our fourth uh we started doing it during the pandemic on Zoom. So we had up to 60 artists, uh, two-day uh, paid, uh, two-day workshop. So it went through the wellness, as I say, the business, uh, the all the social media. And then I critiqued the, each of the artists' work. And we had a dialogue for about 20 minutes for each artist. They could explain what they were doing and what they wanted to do. What was their intention? So... I'm really just a guidance to say this is possibly what you could, how you could move. And this is within a peer group. So it's really important for these, for these artists. And I've been very fortunate uh, to be included in this. So now we're taking this on the road uh, around the world and we can do this two days. It's a proven uh, method. Uh, we're seeing great change. Not, not each, not every artist uh, changes as we'd hoped. But some take a little bit more nurturing, and some of those come back for the second time. So, it's a it's an ongoing process, and I think it's I think it's required right now because artists don't have access to this information and this expertise. We're all senior artists that are you know heading up this artist's next level, so we have some experience, and we can you know pass that off to the next generation. So there you go. I mean, you've been in North America for a few weeks, but um, you miss Canada when you're not here. I'm sure That's you right. miss being in the studio back in Kuala Lumpur, don't you? It's almost time for I you do. to go home, right? So you're, I you... do and I don't. I mean, I don't want... It's, you know, after being home for in this past two and a half weeks, uh, the the joy of this the of Canada, the color of Canada... Uh, I don't enjoy the cost of Canada these days. <laughs> it has, it's it has gone so crazy in cost here. Uh, but it is my home, and I get to speak to people like you. 
I get to see people such as yourself and colleagues that you would know that we had mutual colleagues together. I got to see a lot of these people. I got a lot, you know, uh, downtime with these people where I could really enjoy their company. I mean, you're getting out right before the snow comes. Like I can feel it in the air. So, yes, smart, uh, someone said move. you may Good have planning. snow before uh, the end of October. Yeah, it's uh, chill as where chill I'm as going. We'll never have snow, but I I'm hopeful every day. <laughs> like I'll mail some to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank in you. a crate. I really appreciate you know our conversation, and I I know you know I have many questions to ask you now. Uh, you know what you've been doing, and and uh, uh, the many years that you've been doing so so well and so professionally, and working. With the <laughs> well, colleagues. you obviously haven't seen uh, most of what I've done, so. Uh, <laughs> um, we can do we can do that off uh, off air, but uh, I, I do want to thank you for coming, Drew. It's well, the, thanks, Jim. I really appreciate it. And really. Uh, I hope you found it an interesting talk. I tried to ask Very. some questions. Hopefully, you don't uh, always get to ask. Maybe even try to piss you off a little bit with a, a oh, rude question. Never, never. Is how much I... do you make? In a, no, okay, that's the, <laughs> that's the that's, that's the, the one million question dollar too question far. You cannot oh, ask. million dollars. Yeah, okay, million dollars. I, I got it well, out I'll of see you. There you go. I got it out of you. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for coming. Thank I do you. appreciate it. I really appreciate it too. It's a it's a nice way to to leave Canada with a conversation with you and to talk about a long career. Good to see you, man. Good to see you too. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment or if you want to be on the show, send me an email at connectionsvideopod at gmail.com. And please subscribe.